0: Well, let's commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, we come to give you thanks that we can rejoice in who you are tonight. Our Lord, our King, our Sovereign, Great Shepherd of the sheep. We're coming to ask you as we gather together to come by your Spirit and open up your Word to us. May we see the truth of that Word. May we understand it. Lord, may we be set free in the gospel. We thank you for the good news in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that that good news will reach our hearts and make sense to us and alter our confidence, bring us to true and vital faith. So meet us, Lord, in in accordance with the need you know we have tonight, and we're trusting you for that, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. We've been thinking about the life of faith. We've spent some time defining faith a little bit, but now we've gotten to this this particular juncture. Not only are we justified by faith, do we not only come into a right relationship with God by faith, but once we're in that relationship, we are then to live on by faith. In fact, that is what the uh, the verse, that the just shall live by faith in its first context was all about. Habakkuk had a question as to how people could live through what God said was going to happen in the future. There was a judgment coming, and how can we deal with this? And the answer to that, again, we won't go back to that book, but the answer was this. The just ones are going to go right through this by faith. He didn't say they're going to avoid it. He says they'll live by faith, looking at this as a reality ahead of them and experiencing that reality. So that's where it came from. And then in the New Testament, it is applied with regards to justification, but particularly in the book of Hebrews, where we're going to be tonight, it is applied with respect to that life that we have. Now, last week we started thinking about this, and we divided it into three distinctly different uh, threads, um, pieces that we're going to weave together. Our lives are not that departmentalized. All right. We just live life. And in that life, we have to face all of this. And and they're overlapping thoughts. But we decide we would, we would think about to try to get an idea of how this life of faith works by separating into three areas. First was overcoming ourselves, because we have to exercise faith to deal with who we are on a day to day basis. We are we start off wrong and we have to begin to live like Jesus Christ Christ. How are we going to get from that point to that point? And that's going to be by faith. So there is a sanctification aspect to the life of faith. But all of the life of faith isn't about sanctification. Right? A lot of it is about just living day to day with what happens in life. And that's what we're going to concentrate on tonight, is living by faith in which we're overcoming the difficulties of life because life is difficult. It's just that way. Um, There are problems all the way through it. How are we going to live the glory of God? We're going to live by faith in that. And then next week we'll be going on to this question of of living by faith in order as a means to achieving the goal that God has for us on this earth. That is becoming a blessing of God to other people. We'll talk about that dimension of faith next week. But we're thinking about the just living by faith in that as it says at the top, overcoming difficulties. Now, that is a broad subject. Um, I come to this one kind of with fear and trembling. You know, there's some sermons where you get you know, one point, you know, oh, I gotta, I'm got to just keep hammering at this. But the the applications of what we're thinking about tonight are so broad and so varied that I'm like, Lord, just help people to, to, to see what this means to them particularly. So we're going very rapidly. We are going over a lot of material. Uh, this is a you know it's an introduction to the the subject, but I hope it reminds you that the entirety of our life is faith. Now we we start off when we were defining the word faith at the beginning, and we we noted two key elements to it, two key elements. The first is this: faith is a response to what God says. It is a response in which I build my life, I structure my my conduct around what God says is true, right? So that's that's a big aspect of faith. So faith is never, it doesn't initiate anything, it doesn't create anything. It responds to something. God has said certain things, and if I respond to what God has said, I am living by faith. If I don't, I won't. So it's a response. The second thing we saw about faith, which is important to coordinate with that, that in one sense could be a complete definition, but it it lacks this, that faith is always oriented towards seeking God. Without faith, it says in the chapter we're going to be reading from tonight, without faith it's impossible to please God, to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those that seek him. And he ties this idea of faith to actually seeking God. So I am entrusting my life into God's hands, according to what he has said, with the goal in mind that I could get to know God. Right? That, that's, that's the goal that I have. If I have that combination, then I'm living biblical faith. Now we're going to go into the book of Hebrews in chapter 11 and we're going to look at one life, one particular life. The only reason we're going to do that is because it's way outside of our bounds to to try to bring in all the other lives. We'll touch them. It's almost impossible not to touch them. But Hebrews chapter 11 develops the idea that, okay, in chapter 10 he says this, that the just live by faith. Then he tells you that's the way all the Old Testament saints lived. But they never finished everything that God had for them. And that won't be completed until we join them in that life of faith. The chapter is meant to call you to the same kind of trust that they had on a higher level in that we have more revealed to us because faith builds on the word of God. It builds on what I know about God. And I know that because he teaches me from his word what's true. And so he's going to call these men at the end of chapter 11, beginning of chapter 12, to run with endurance the race that's set before them looking unto Jesus. All right? We have all these men who testified that this is the right way to live. Now let's live like them. Let's live like them. Let's, let's follow in that because we have so much more given to us than they ever had of Revelation. Because the book of Hebrews starts with that, that God revealed himself in Jesus Christ. Now, that's the way, direction he goes. But he, he turns to different lives, but the life which is most focused on is the life of Abraham. Again, just for your own Bible study, you need to note that Abraham is the father of those that have faith. He is always the first character which is emphasized when it comes to faith. Everything that God teaches us is always based on what Abraham found out. All right? So he goes back to the life of Abraham as the example. He's the father of those that have faith. What can we learn from his experience? So we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 11, and the discussion concerning Abraham begins in verse 8. I want to read the entire section on Abraham before we begin to look at the details along. So it begins in chapter, chapter 11, verse 8. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God." By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of the heavens in number and innumerable as the sand which is by the sea. that's important because that's what God told him would happen. Uh, This whole story of Abraham is, is fascinating in that he had almost nothing to go on with regards to the Word of God. There is no Bible at the time. There is no Old Testament record. God came and spoke certain things to him, and he believed it. And the entirety of what Abraham heard from God, you could fit it in about two pages in his whole life. And that life went on for 175 years but he lived by faith because he structured on what it said, and this was a key one. That here's a man who was past time to have children, and God said that you're going to have children to the point where you they're just like the stars in the sky. You can't count them. All right, so that he goes back. Um, the writer of Hebrews is underlining that all these he says in verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For those who say such things make it clear that they're seeking a country of their own. And indeed, if they had been thinking of that country from which they had went out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Now after saying that you would think that would be the end of it, but then the writer returns to one event in Abraham's life. He puts more emphasis on this than anything else. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. It was it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Abraham's life. It's, it's, we want to look at it right here and think about what does that mean? What are, we, what are we going to learn concerning what it means to live through the difficulties of life by faith? <clears throat> Let's first start with where Abraham gets on the train to, to start living this life of faith. This takes us back to what we did at the very beginning when we thought about what it means to exercise that faith, that divide that takes place. God says this, other people say this, somebody else, anyone says something else. I make up my mind when I hear that whether I'm going to build on this or I'm going to build on this. And and when you hear the word of God and you, you think you have to build on this, you are always going to be opposing the culture in which you're living. It doesn't matter where you're from. The only possibility would be you were isolated in a Christian home and that's all you'd ever heard. That's very rare. But for everybody, when you hear the Word of God and it begins to make sense to you what's being said, you are up against what other people have said to you. And you have to make a choice. You, you come to a conclusion. Either they are correct and this is the way to live, or God is correct and this is the way to live. And you make this split. For Abraham, it was kind of simple. All right? Because God didn't put a whole string of things in front of him. He said, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I want you to leave your family. I want you to leave your land. And I'm going to take you to this land. And I'm going to do certain things through you. We're not going to go through all the details of what he said. But he said, you have to leave. And Abraham left. He left. All right? And in that action of leaving, and very often your, your faith is going to be expressed in actions. Faith is the key. Right? It's not works that I do that are the key. But if I have real faith, it has to lead to actions. Because if I'm going to build my life on something, it has to change. There has to be some element. The world that I've been living in isn't going the right direction. So if I'm going to move from there to here, something has to change. And sometimes very at the, at the very beginning, there are dramatic things that God calls people to. Like Levi, who was called to get up and leave everything and follow the Lord. And he did. Not always is it so dramatic as that, but it, it always has the same element to it. Abraham did it, and then something happened. And this is what we want to get for the you live by faith. When you entrust yourself into the hands of God, I say this over and over again, what? you are in his hands. God doesn't waste what's given to him. When you trust Him, when you put your life into His hands, when you entrust it there, put it there, He takes it. And from that point on, you are with Him. You are under His control. Now, I'm going to say under His control, not that you are perfect in uh, obedience here. You are in a place where He is engineering the whole rest of what takes place. Now, when we say that, a problem comes up. And this is this is going to run right through our discussion here. God is in absolute control, but it appears in a lot of circumstances as if the things we're running into are such as is common to man. All right? God is in control in my life if I've entrusted to him, but I run into the same economy that everybody else does. I run into the same... Uh, Again, everything that's happening in the world around me is happening to me also. So there are certain such as is common to man. And so a lot of this can look like it is completely, um, random, but it isn't random because there's a God in heaven. And and again, when you've got your, you take your life and you put it in his hands, he takes it. And that's the beginning of that life of faith. It, It depends on you knowing from the start that you now are his. And now what is taking place is under his direction. All right, now, what, does, what are we going to find out about Abraham? All right, and this will go back to the back side. We're, again, we'll try to move all this in. Next thing it says about Abraham, verse uh, 9 says, By faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. That is its skin, one of those verses. I think it's one of my favorite verses. By faith, Abraham lived. There's an enormous amount that's put in there. We have a tendency to think about by faith, Abraham offered Isaac, or by faith, uh, Isaac was born. But God is teaching people about what faith is about. These Hebrews are going to have to receive this. By faith, he lived. He just lived every day by faith. Now excuse me there is an element to this that we have to to face that it's not to say that at every moment of every day Abraham was consciously receiving something from God what he's saying here is the very fact that he went there and stayed there meant that from the for the rest of his life it was an act of faith this is an element of the life of faith I think we overlook a lot. We, th- we think in terms of actively trusting the Lord, which you have to do in a lot of cases. But there is an, there are commitments of faith where you work it out, and every day that you're doing it, you are living by faith. You may not be, in a sense, consciously trusting the Lord, but you have entrusted yourself. Abraham left his home and went to to, this, to Canaan and stayed there. And he stayed there for the rest of his life despite a whole lot of ups and downs. But that was viewed by God as a life of faith. By faith he lived. And it becomes even more important that when the promise was given to him, he said, I'm going to take you to land. I'm going to, I'm going to give you this land. All right? So he says that after he gets there. I'm going to give you this land. It's all yours. But Abraham never possessed any of that land except for a burial plot never had any control over it he was promised that he would have a great, there would be a great nation you're going to be the father of many nations and when he died it was abraham isaac jacob and esau Big fam. Of course, there's Ishmael, and there's a number of off to the side. But again, this hasn't been fulfilled, and he does not have control of it. And so he is going to constantly live in a land which God says belongs to him, which he never can take hold of and say, it's mine. It's an interesting thought, because it's, it parallels our own circumstance. I want to say this. This is a parallel of the whole Christian life. The fact is... That the meek, and that's speaking about the people who trust God. It's just it's one of the ways that Jesus expresses, and it's an old testament quote the meek will inherit the earth. This belongs to us. It belongs to the people of God. It was created to glorify God, and it was created for the people that belong to God. It does not now belong to us. What are we in the place where we're going to one day possess? We are aliens. And for the bigger part of Christian history, people who served God were rejected by the people that were on this earth. And it, it, so that if it changes for America has been kind of a, an anomaly in the history of mankind where Christianity kind of dominated it. And you, we, were the, we were in control in a sense. But that, that's, that's a really rare thing, and if it changes, it, it will just put us in the same category as the vast majority of our brothers and sisters who have lived on this earth all the way through. But the fact is, this is Psalm 137, you you're Psalm 37, You get there. In the end, there's going to come a day, the psalmist sees it, when you're going to look around, and all of a sudden they're all gone. And the people that remain are the people that belong to God. All right? And so that's, that's where he is as far as, he says he, he lives as an alien. Now, he's doing it in a literal sense because he's not aware of all that the New Testament teaches, but he's living in that land, but he keeps on living in even though he never has it. Why does he do that? Why does he do that? He does that because at the beginning God told him something and he's counting on what God said. And so he doesn't vary his actions along the way because he is counting on that. That's an element of faith, again, I want to—I think is overlooked too often. But we're thinking about how we face difficulties. Like, you know, so much you could talk about in the life of faith. And we want to get down to this matter of what Abraham overcame. I've put it in three categories, and I think that they're important to help us think through what's going on. First of all, When we're thinking about the life of faith, it means overcoming difficulties because life is tough. It just is tough. The Bible is crystal clear on that, all right? It's difficult. There are no happily ever afters. Right? A lot of the frustration of human beings is because they think it's possible to create it. We have been trying all the way from the fall to create the utopia, whether it was in Babel or whether it was Babylon later on or whether great empires. We're trying to create a place which is freed from difficulties. It's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. When the Lord begins to work in your life, He's going to bring you to reality in the sense that This isn't isn't depression. This is reality that you're going to have to live with this. You're going to have to live with the reality of what goes on on this earth. Abraham Abraham had to do that. When God took him out of Ur and brings him to Canaan, life was not sweet and pleasant in Canaan. Now, Now, a lot of this is not discussed in the book of Hebrews and the reason it's not discussed in the book of Hebrews is they knew this story backwards and forwards they could have told you chapter by chapter what happened we don't know that so I have to kind of explain it to you but the very first thing that happens in the story when Abraham finally is obedient and finally gets to the land of Canaan is what he hits a famine now now famine's serious right that means that there's not enough food to go around right we, we, we don't we don't face famine in the United States. We just don't face it. You know, we're upset if the grocery store runs out of whatever it is that we wanted. Why didn't they get more of this kind of ice cream instead of that kind of ice cream? You know, it's, it's that kind of. It, I don't know that, well, maybe some of you have been in places, but I have never in my life worried, concerned myself, been thoughtful about whether or not there would be food tomorrow. I'm not talking about just in my home, I mean food tomorrow. And that's, that's where he hits. A place where there's this famine, which means that the crops aren't coming in, everything is dying, there's not enough to go around. What are you going to do? You see, this is God, or God has brought him into this place, but he has not made it smooth, right? When we come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, God does not make our life smooth, all right? And we will face difficulties, and those difficulties will cause pain, right? Pain, now, we can, we can look at them on all kinds of different levels, but we're going to think about the difficulties that we face, which are really severe, and we will all face them. Right? And then we'll face them kind of at random. They don't happen all that orderly. Just think about your own life. They don't happen in order. They don't happen when you expect them. Things don't go the way you thought they would go. You thought we're going this way, we're going this way. Uh, You never would have expected that this problem would occur. All right? It's like that time when your car breaks down. And the first thought that goes through your mind, I think, when you've... Oh, this is a terrible time. Well, when's a good time for your car to break down? But it doesn't break down on Thursdays or, you know, this day of the month. or the It breaks down, whatever breaks down, and there you have it. And that kind of is the same way it is with regards to life. Now, I want to say a couple of things about particularly the severe difficulties of life. We sometimes are taught, in a sense, we kind of inadvertently teach each other that somehow trusting God can take you through those just with flying cameras so that you don't really feel them. They're like shock absorbers that make it possible to go through there. And I want to say that that is not possible. It is not possible, and it is not taught in the Word of God. And again, the Apostle Paul sort of settles that for us. There is a place in the book of Philippians, that I think is very helpful to us, where Paul is talking about, he's in prison, he's had some difficulties, and he he talks about a man named Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus was a prayer warrior that had been working with him, and the prayer warrior got sick. And he went all the way to the point of death, but God brought him back from the edge of death. And then Paul says this about it, and God had mercy on him. He had mercy on him and brought him back. But then he says this, not only on him, but on me. God had mercy on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. This would be like circumstances just piling on. You ever felt like circumstances were piling on? You know, it's not just the car breaking down. It's the car breaking down, this breaking down, this. You know, there's all kinds of things, and they're all... But what Paul said. Now, the word he's using here for sorrow means to have deep emotional or physical pain. It involved that thing. And to either have physical pain or have deep emotional pain. It's words that's used when people are really suffering inside, which is where the, the deep suffering takes place. Now, it is not untrue that God helps us through those circumstances. Those circumstances are never hopeless circumstances because Paul will also say this. I want to, I've experienced things as sorrowful, he says, yet always rejoicing. I have this pain, but I also have this, not antidote, it doesn't take away the pain, but I have this assurance over here. And this assurance keeps this from from uh, causing the ship to list and, and, and sink. It doesn't sink. It doesn't falter. I'm held up. I'm kept up by this reality, but this is real pain. In the life, the Christian life as we live by faith, we have to we're going to experience pain. Now, let me say something also about those pains. I think all the different things I should put into this, but I believe we spend too much time trying to interpret pain in our lives. The issue isn't to interpret pain, it's to live by faith in the middle of pain. Why I say I interpret pain? Now, I don't know I don't know your background. Um, just because of, of, I don't know what, because of, I won't say, I don't have any idea how I got this, but it kind of always hit me that when somebody had troubles, something was wrong. You know, God was trying to speak to him. God's going to speak to you. Boom! God's trying to speak to you. And although I know this is semantic, I mean, no, God isn't trying to speak to you. If God wants to speak to you, it's written right here. This is the way God speaks to you. He takes His Word and talks to you. He doesn't talk to you through circumstances. He talks to you in circumstances. And those circumstances may give you an opportunity to deepen your understanding of this Word, but the circumstance isn't God speaking. And you're going to run into a big problem if you start looking for it. Let me just give you a couple examples you got from the Word of God. There are people who sinned against God, and God sent difficult circumstances. In, in Corinth it says that many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep, because you have been doing the wrong thing in the Lord's Supper. In that particular case, the circumstances they were facing were a, a chastening because of their behavior. If they want to find out what the issue was, they should listen to the Word of God. Right, Paul, in a circumstance, was put in a place where he said, "I despaired even of life." I'll give you some. uh, He uses words for depression there. I was stuck in a hole, and we don't even know what the circumstance was, but it got so bad he said that we despaired even of, of ever getting out of this circumstance. And then he says this. And we were put there so that we could learn that God raises the dead. He's able to do this. In other words, he said that this circumstance was instructive for me. It wasn't chastening. It was instructive. All right? Then we could go to the man Job. Job is has a man who suffered. But his suffering was neither chastening nor instructive. One of the interesting features about the book of Job is that he wanted to know why God did this, and he was never told why God did that. Just read through the book. At the very end, he says, Okay, I don't want to know anymore. And he leaves. Now, we don't know how the, the book is all put together, how we get it, but the point is that those circumstances were created so that God could glorify his name through Job. It had nothing to do with Chastening; It had nothing to do with instruction because Job didn't learn anything by it. He just trusted God, and he went on. And we could go on to other examples of different ways that circumstances are used by God in our lives. We, we don't often know what God is doing in circumstances, and I really would strongly urge you not to try to figure out what God is doing. It's very depressing, particularly if you get in that habit of believing that every time something goes wrong, God's trying to spank you. All right. Now, he can do that. But uh, that's not typically. <laughs> it's not the only reason. And if you get that way, then every problem becomes uh, sort of you're almost accusing God. It really makes it hard to walk with a God who acts like that, who, who works like that. So i just warned you, it's, it's a difficult when you're thinking about circumstances. Why are those circumstances there? I don't know. I don't know. The key is that I have to live by faith in them. I have to know what God has said and face them with that, that knowledge. So if you want to understand what to do in your circumstance, you go back to the Word of God, right? Now, there is a vast difference. I don't think you've figured out one. There's a vast difference between Abraham and and us tonight abraham's bible was if he had written it down i I don't think it would cover two pages this is what god said to him and so as he faces those circumstances he doesn't have a whole lot to go on we're very judgmental of abraham why didn't he do this you know how could he do that doesn't the law of God say that? Yeah, fifteen hundred years let no. Uh, Five hundred years later the law of God will say that, but I'm uh, not having premonitions of God's revelation in the future, I doubt whether he understood all that. He has a little bit to go on. But he kept with this. He kept building on it. And he's an example to us of how simple it is to build on it, all right? So when we're going through those circumstances, we see, see, we know certain things today and have certain experiences, says the writer of Hebrews that they didn't have. See, the Lord Jesus tells me that I'll never leave you or forsake you. Everything that will happen to you from the time I put my life in his hands will move towards a goal which he will engineer and he will always be there, right there. He's not ordering angels to do things. He's not leaving it up to circumstances. He is actively walking with me all the way, step by step, every part of the whole thing, right? Now, if I'm going to build my life in faith as I'm facing these circumstances, I have to count on that, right? I have to count on the fact that that's so. I have to count on the fact that because of that, all things are working together for good. All right? God is is working at all. Now, I honestly couldn't, if you say, well, what was good about, I don't know. That's why I don't like, I don't try to assess anymore. What I want to do is find out how I'm supposed to live. if God wants to tell me I'm wrong, there's plenty here to tell me I'm wrong. I mean like, he doesn't need He doesn't need to spank to just that'll get my attention at times yeah, He'll get my attention, but He gets your attention. go back to the word. Don't just sit there and look at your circumstance, but it's all working together for good, right And one of those things that I have to know as I face those difficult circumstances, and that's why I think that assessing is a very bad thing. Um, nothing can separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. See, if I'm going to build my life through these circumstances that hurt, and they do. Some of them hurt. Some of them aren't so painful. It's just They're just difficult. They're the things you have to overcome. Then I'm going to have to trust Him according to what He said in His Word. Because we have so far to go, I want to keep moving and I want to go to the next word because I, I put this in for a again, particular reason, because as you're going along there, some of those difficulties you face are your own fault. They're your problem. You messed it up. It's not there because of life in general. It's there because of you particularly. Maybe you've never done that, made the mistake that keeps on being there and being there and being there. Right now, Abraham was one of those kind of people. Abraham's life isn't quite as smooth and as directly holy as we would like it to look. All right, remember he said he got to that uh, that um, got to that famine, and the fact that he left Canaan isn't to me the big problem. The fact is that he turned coward when he left. He turned coward, and he kind of turned his wife... I mean, he really messed up there. And if God hadn't intervened for him, he really was making... I mean, imagine what that must have been long range in his relationship with Sarah. You know, anyway, I'll leave that, you know. But he still... You see, there are going to be ramifications to all these actions. But that was Abraham, the great Abraham, the father of the faith, right? It's in there. Well, later on, he's going to... uh, Find out that uh, he's gonna, the son's going to come from him, and he's all thrilled about that, and Ishmael's born. Right? But he goes his own route, That, right? That's not exactly the plan. Now, we should be very cautious to, be, uh, to criticize him on that, because up until that time, the word that he had did not say that Sarah was going to be the mother of his son. He said, someone who comes from your body. So although it was inaccurate... It was within the bounds of what God has said, but he made a mistake. And as you read the story of Abraham, that mistake keeps on being a mistake gone down through his life, right? Then you can go to all sorts. I'm not going to go on and on and on with that. I don't know how you view the will of God, right? How do you view the will of God? My view of the will of God is um, somewhat in it just doesn't make sense to people because i believe god has a perfect will for my life he has a plan but i also believe that it when it gets messed up he still keeps me on that path and there's no way you can say well how can he do that how can he have a plan for abraham and this be still he can still accomplish that even though he made all these mistakes i don't know i don't know because if i take either of the two if i either come to the conclusion that god didn't have a plan well What kind of a God doesn't have a plan? Who did you entrust yourself to? He had a plan for everything else that he did. Why wouldn't he have a plan for my life? But on the other side, if I take that too long, then if I make a mistake, this was the way I used to look at life when I was very young in the in the Lord, if I make a mistake on day three, the whole thing's blown. Was that you know, if this is the perfect if this is the aisle I'm supposed to walk down, I start going that direction, then it's all finished i finally had to come to a conclusion after reading the word of god that uh god is big enough and i I can't explain how that that will will be accomplished to those that entrust themselves to him even though they make big mistakes along the way and that as they go the important question is will they live by faith will they trust him And that involves trusting him also for the things that you have blown. I'm not talking here so much about sin as I'm talking about the miscalculations, the poor judgments, the the wrong paths. You thought this was the will of God. It wasn't the will of God. You thought in the end, that's like Abraham with Isaac. If you don't have a plan for dealing with that, I think you're going to give up on the life of faith. I'm going to read a... Uh, a couple a verse this, I used to have to teach uh, Old Testament survey. this is a troubling verse to, it was before a troubling verse from from the book of uh, from Hebrews chapter 11 when you actually go to the Old Testament survey. After he talks about different men, he says, "And what more shall I say?" Verse thirty-two. "And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets." And he goes on down. Okay, he goes in this list. He has certain men listed there. Uh, Those men's lives are not stellar. All right, those are deeply flawed men, just as Abraham was a deeply flawed man. And David was a deeply flawed man. And Samuel had his problem because his sons didn't follow. You get all kinds of deeply flawed characters in there. That That's... When you have to teach uh, Old Testament survey, and you're coming, here's a man that's in the... He's in the the Hall of Fame. And <laughs> you read his life, you're going like, Hall of Fame? It wasn't It was just recently I was reading about a... Uh, Scholar who said that early on he had been challenged by a paper from an atheist who said this. I've read through the Bible, this is this is a paraphrase. I've read through the Bible and I've looked at the guys in the Old Testament. If they're God's friends, he's got very poor character. Now that he's inaccurate what he said. I'm not I'm not saying he's right. All I'm saying is the men who are in this chapter aren't there because they made they did everything right. They are not there because they were wise at every point or they were even righteous at every point. Why are they in that chapter? At the end of the chapter, he says this, All these, having gained approval by their faith. It's a great line. All these, having gained approval because they trusted me, didn't didn't receive what they they didn't ever get what was, they were going to fully receive They're, that's all going to wait until we're in the in the program too this is until everybody's end we won't all see the end of what we were aiming at but they all gained approval because they trusted me that's very encouraging isn't it that it isn't the details of their lives that are there and here's an interesting feature about Hebrews chapter 11 this is very It's important to me. Right? As I start off, I thought I was gonna (laughs) What an idiot. Anyway, I started off thinking we were gonna do it right. I was gonna keep on the track. I wasn't gonna make the mistakes. I'm gonna read enough, I'm gonna study enough, I'm gonna pray enough, and I'm not gonna make the mistakes. Well, that's that was the way I started. It's an interesting thing about the Bible. In the Old Testament, as it talks about these characters, it tells you all the gory details of their mistakes. It doesn't hide from us the fact that David was an adulterer and a murderer. It doesn't hide the fact that when, when Moses committed himself to serve the people of God, the first thing he does is goes and murders a man and gets himself in trouble and gets run out into the wilderness. His hot-tempered nature, it doesn't cover that up. It doesn't cover up the fact that Abraham turned coward, just a coward, and, and put his wife in real danger to protect himself. It doesn't hide all the truths that are the facts of life. But when you read Hebrews chapter 11, you won't find any of that there. When Sarah heard that she was going to have a child, she laughed in derision. She laughed in derision. But she came to faith on that. And the writer of Hebrews says this, By faith even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. That's where she got, but that's not where she started. But the Bible doesn't record that. Because God looks at life and He says there's faith there. And that faith pleases Him. And God puts such a high priority and a high value on faith that He's willing to put all this out of the way. He's willing to ignore all that in presenting it. It doesn't mean that what they did didn't bear consequences in their life. It wasn't that what they did was right. It's that when God looks at that, He's not going to bring it all up. Because He wants... He wants to concentrate on this fact that they did live by faith, they did trust Him, and He was pleased by that. That's important for us because if you're going to run with endurance, the race that's before you, and you're going to aim at perfection, you are going to... you're not going to make it. You have to have a way to handle the fact that you make mistakes, that you've blown things, that you haven't done all that you could. I'm not talking about sin here. I'm talking about just the dumb moves that we make as human beings. The, the bad relationships, the things that go wrong. And he has to live by faith through that. You have to entrust that into God's hands. So Abraham, the promise to Abraham was fulfilled even though there was an Ishmael. And even though Abraham stepped aside multiple times. The purpose of God through David was accomplished even though David committed grievous sin. But in that in that life... There was still that deep element that David wanted to trust God, and he wanted to love God. He wanted to know the God that was out there. Now, we have a great, great opportunity to do that. Third part, all right? Third part. Yes, that's two. The third part, um, i got to figure out which word I actually used for that, because I had several of them going down there. What did I put down? Routine, routine, because I had tedium. I didn't think that would make everybody feel good, tedium. <laughs> the tedium of life. But it is an important feature. Here, I mean, here's some mathematical factors about Abraham. Abraham, we know the Bible covers at least 100 years. I think it's a little more than that, but we'll say it's a hundred years. Or I would say that it's hundred years of his life. A hundred years, how about this? I can multiply this one out. Times 365 days is 3,600 uh, or three, 36,500 days. 36,500 days. Now, it depends on how you read the story, and I'm not going to try to fight with it. This is just an order of magnitude discussion. The way I look at the stories, it's between 25 and 50 of those days are mentioned in the Bible. Somewhere in there. Let's just, for the sake of having easy math, all right, Say that there were 36 of them, because that makes the math real easy here. That means that for every day that we're told something important happened in Abraham's life, there were 1,000 days when nothing happened that that merited recording. And if you see the life of Abraham, you put it together, that probably is what happened, because Abraham really never did anything great. He trusted God. Uh, He didn't build a city. He didn't start a movement. He didn't start a church. He He doesn't do anything. He lived in the land trusting God and allowing God to do what he wanted to do through him. But that means there are day after day after day in which what did Abraham do? He took care of sheep, he worked out problems with his family. Because there were some squabbles inside that family. He taught Ishmael. He taught Isaac later on. But it's just regular, run-of-the-mill, sort of everyday, put one foot in front of the other and keep on going type of life. Most of our lives is real down-to-earth. It's just real down-to-earth. Sometimes we have these these great views of what it would be like if you you know if God is going to appear. I remember a message I heard. This was when I was a student here. That's fifty something. Well, I don't know what it is. Can't, It's a long time ago. All right. It's long enough ago. That most of you weren't here. Man was talking about, and he said, "Isn't it interesting? Isn't it interesting the story of of Abraham? He's asked God." To how whether he's going to own this land or not, and God says, "Okay, I'm going to I'm going to set a covenant with you." And so he chops these animals in half and puts them out there, and we're going to have a we're going to have he's going to meet with God. And he chopped them in half and set them out, and you know what he did? This is the great day with the Lord. He chased buzzards all day long. Goes out in the sunshine. Oh, here's a meal, and so. The sacrifice, the sacrifice he put before God where he's going to meet with God and he's gonna the, the living living God God's gonna be here and he spends his time chasing buzzards. I thought that's that's a great description of a lot of of ministry, right? You're getting something done now God finally did show. I mean he, he came and a covenant was established. it was a glorious day, but that glorious day involved both God coming and buzzards coming. And it, it kind of keeps the balance of the way, you know, our Christian life goes. I don't know if you've ever had the buzzards in the quiet time, but anyway, you get you know you're trying to have a quiet time, and it all gets deep, and something happens. I don't know what it is, but we won't. I won't make any comments on what could happen, but things could happen. But he waits there. You see, most of our life is teased. There's one point in Abraham's life, he was when. Ishmael was born, he was 86 years old. The next word from God came when he was 99 years old. That's 5,000 days later. 5,000 days. You know, people, if they don't have a good quiet time for three days, they're ready to give it up. Where is God? But see, Abraham lived by faith. And after 5,000 days, where do we find Abraham? In the same land that he moved in years and years ago. Because he has committed himself to God and he's living by faith. The promise says it's going to happen here. The promise says I'm going to have a son. Now, I believe at that point that that Abraham believed Ishmael was going to be the son. He has no reason not to believe that at that particular point. But the point is, he's living by faith. But most of that had to be just regular old living, doing what has to be done. But the fact that he's where he is and he's doing what he's doing is an act of faith, even if what is doing doesn't seem particularly um, amazing. Because God is doing a work. And when he's finished, God will, a son's going to be born. And every person in this room that knows Jesus Christ is part of the fruit of Abraham's faithfulness every single person in this room that has committed yourself to Jesus Christ is part of what he got by living by faith so it doesn't look like it's important but it is important that he continues to trust God that takes you to the next element of what he has to say concerning that faith, is by faith he looked. I think it's, it's great when it's self alliterated you know? He, he left, and then he lived, and says he looked. He looked for a city that had foundation. See, he could do that year after year because he had moved out of this earth into another realm. Now, he lived on this earth. Yeah, indeed. All those sheep had to be taken care of. I can't imagine what kind of squabbles must have gone on between shepherds over getting all. He was a very wealthy man. And where do you put all these sheep? They eat grass all the time. Where do you find pasture? How do you keep it going? Where do you get wells? How do you get. You know, all of them have to drink. That was his life. But he's there because God put him there, and that's leading to a goal. It's, It's moving towards an end. But he himself is looking for something else. He's looking for something bigger. He's looking for a city, it says, that has foundation, whose builder and maker is God. He's moved out of this realm. Now, if we're going to live by faith, that has to be true for us. We have to move from being people who are alive on this earth for 70 years to people who are going to be alive for eternity. People who are locked to what happens while we're living on this earth to people who move into the great plan of God. Abraham did it as much as he could with a little bit that he knew about the great plan of God. You have a you have a completed scripture that tells us a whole lot about what God's plan is. You see, Abraham could live by faith, and part of that living by faith was that he looked for a city that had foundation. Now, that combined those two thoughts of him living in the land as an alien and looking. For a city that had foundations, enabled him to come to know God in his circumstances. The circumstances don't teach him about God, God teaches him about himself, but it's in those circumstances that he met God and found out who he was. He found out the kind of God he was because when he was sitting on that rock, his way back at the very beginning, he's sitting on a rock because he just went and got Lot and he did a very stupid thing. But it was the cultural thing to do. He had to. He didn't say God sent him to get Lot. He did that because the culture said that he, as the head of the clan, has to take care of the whole clan. And stupid Lot got himself in trouble. It was a foolish move that he got himself in trouble. But I have to do it. He was going to be the honorable man and go do it. This is the honor of the culture. He went and did it. And now he's sitting in a tent, and he's got enemies, big enemies. He's vulnerable. He's vulnerable. He's refused all this stuff. And it's at that point, while he is in the stress of a difficult circumstance, which he's created himself, that God comes alongside of him and says to him, What? Abraham, I'm a shield to you. And I'm going to be your reward. Let's, let's keep it there. All right? I'm the shield. I'm the reward. Now, Abraham lived through that. All right? Nobody ever came and got him. And what does he learn in that circumstance? He learns that the Word of God is true. It isn't the circumstance that taught him. It's the Word of God that taught him. But the circumstance created an opportunity where he could learn that God was that. Later on, again, we have to shorten this, but um, his, Isaac was born. Why did God allow it to get to that point? Abraham never doubted that God could do it. That's what the Bible says. He he didn't doubt. He believed that the God that he had learned about back here and he had met in those circumstances could do this. And he did it. But see, you know, that told Abraham something about the enormous power of God. He told him what he would do, and then he actually did it. And when you see God do what he said he was going to do in your own real circumstances you could come to a place where you begin to know that his word is true and you can, you can rely on it a little better. And I'm saying that because there's a last element, and this is the one where the writer turns and he, he, he takes a little bit extra time on this one. This is, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested. When he was tested. Now this is 40-some this is years into, well, 35 to 40 years into his experience with God. It's at least that long. It could have been longer. Isaac has been born. He's grown into, he's not a full adult yet. He's pretty much in his teenage years. We don't know exactly where, but the word it's used indicates he's probably a late teenager. And God asks him to offer him up. He asks him to offer him up. And the writer says that he went to that place with this thought in mind. That the God, because God said this and he kept his word in a miraculous way. So what God says is true. And if he says that in Isaac this will happen, and I put a knife in Isaac's heart at his direction, he will raise Isaac from the dead. How many of us could come alongside of him in that? Why could he do that? Why could he say that? Why could he believe that? Because way back there, he started building his life on the God that was there. And in all those circumstances, what God said came to pass. And as he trusted him, he got to know him, and that enabled him to rest his faith in a, high, in a greater way on the living God. There is an advantage to having lived through circumstances and proved, that's what we call the proved the grace of God. But I don't want you to note the other side of all this. Not only did that prove that Abraham was a real man of faith, but God engineered this circumstance so that God could come alongside of him and show him all about his heart. When we were talking about this a few years ago, we mentioned that. I don't believe. There are a number of men in the Old Testament that had chances to understand the cross and what it was about. I don't think anybody had a better chance to understand what the cross would mean to God than Abraham had. Because he was going to take his son, his beloved son, and he was going to have to put him to death. And he didn't stop until God held his hand. I mean, he was all ready to plunge it. He had already made the commitment. And you know that in his own heart that had happened. And why is he doing that? Not just to test Abraham. But in the old testament is the only, you know, it's character. It's interesting. He's called the friend of God. This is my friend. He's my friend. And I'm going to bring him into my heart. The just live by faith. The circumstances that God creates are created for a purpose. They're created for a purpose. What that purpose is, we don't know. But how are we going to face them? We're going to face them by faith. You're going to find out what the Word of God says, and then you're going to apply that. That doesn't take the pain out of painful circumstances. It doesn't take the difficulty out of difficulties. What it does do is it enables me to be stable through it and to learn about God in it because the Word of God is strengthened me. Now that's a, This is a synopsis of a whole lot of information, but all of us have to live, right? It's true, we have to trust God to enable us by faith to deal with our our lower nature, (laughs) our, our, our sinful nature. But beyond that, there is a need to walk with God every day, to trust Him according to His Word in the actual circumstances that He's creating as He leads you into a deeper and deeper understanding of who He is, as He proves Himself in those circumstances, as He proves that He can handle the difficulties, as He proves that He can handle your own mistakes. As he proves that he can bring you right through the tedium of life, the, the the tough part, the part that isn't exciting, and guide you right through there, and lead you a place where you become one who knows him and knows him personally. It's interesting to say that. he says this at the end there that because Abraham took that course, God wasn't ashamed. That's that's one isn't that wonderful verse. God wasn't ashamed to say, I am the God of Abraham. In the Old Testament, that's what he's doing. He was the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That was his name. I'm I'm willing to do that because he trusted me. Well, let's pray. Father, we come before you. We give you thanks for your amazing capacity to engineer our lives. And we thank you for what you're doing. We're coming and asking you to... Teach us to trust you, to walk by faith in the difficulties and in the problems that we create ourselves and in those long hours on this earth. We thank you that you are redeeming the time. Keep us looking unto the Lord Jesus Christ. We trust you for it and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.